0: Thank you buddy and Kelly. Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter number 15. Matthew chapter 15. Good morning and welcome to the first day of 2012. Doesn't it seem odd that it is 2012 already? It seems like it was just a year or two ago that they were telling us that 2000 was going to be a catastrophic year and all the computers were going to lock up and the world would never be the same. And now they're telling us that the end of the world is going to come on December the 21st, 2012, based on the Mayan calendar. We have to wonder why they thought the Mayans could understand I've seen this uh, Mayan calendar myself, and I just have to wonder why anybody thinks that's going to tell us when the world's going to end. Well, I don't think the world's going to end, and I think we better plan for how we're going to live this year. Of course, this is the time that many people make uh, New Year's resolutions for the coming year. Perhaps you may have already made your New Year resolution and broken it by now. We make those because there are areas in our lives that we are unhappy with or areas in our life that we believe need to be improved. New Year's resolutions usually fit into one of three categories. They deal with things to make us look better or feel better, things to make us have more, whether it's more stuff or more money. And things that will help us to get along with others. If we were to translate those three into biblical terms, they would be longevity, prosperity, and peace. One young boy asked his father what his New Year's resolution was, and his father said, I am going to do everything possible in the New Year to make your mother very happy. The little boy then turned to his mother and asked her what her New Year's resolution was. She says, I'm going to do everything possible to make sure your father keeps his resolution. So if you're making a new list today and you're making a New Year's resolution, what should we base it on and how are we going to fulfill it? Well today, we return to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Matthew, and this morning our text is found in Matthew chapter 15. In today's text, Jesus battles with the Jewish religious leadership over the authority of Scripture. Down through the years, the ages, this battle has been fought over and over. In the Reformation, One of the three major tenets, or solas, was sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Meaning that scripture alone is the authority for people, not the church or its councils. In our day, people are still using the wrong standard sometimes to determine what God's will is sometimes substituting their own human understanding as the lens through which they determine what is right and wrong. One example in our day, of course, is the practice of homosexuality. Those who want to believe that it is not wrong are forced to try to redefine the Bible so that it does not condemn that practice. And we could use various other areas as well. What Jesus is dealing with in this passage is the elevation of tradition by the Pharisees to that equal with and sometimes even replacing that of Scripture. In the parallel account in Mark chapter 7, Mark records that Jesus accuses the Pharisees of laying aside the commandments of God. Usually the case is that we don't totally disregard the Word of God, at least at the beginning. It's just that we put human tradition alongside of it. We can make the same mistake today when we get wrapped up in some teacher or preacher and what they say and make it more authoritative than the Bible. Three times in this passage, as we read in a few minutes, I'd invite you to underline the use of this word. But three times in this passage, in verse 2 and in verse 3 and in verse 6, Jesus makes a reference to tradition. Now, there are many kinds of tradition. Some of them are good, some of them are neutral, and some of them are bad. We have national traditions. An example of that is how one is to go about handling the American flag. We have family traditions handed down within our families, such as where we're going together and what we're going to do on Thanksgiving or how we celebrate Christmas. We have church traditions. We're celebrating one of them this morning meaning at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. But we need to understand it is a tradition, not a practice laid out in the Bible that we are commanded to come at 11 a.m. But we cannot assume that all traditions are bad. The Apostle Paul uses the same word translated tradition to refer to the biblical truth that is being handed down and passed on to the churches of his day. But what Jesus is dealing with here is the problem of human traditions taking the place of the authority of God's word. The people have become so wrapped up in ceremonies and rituals that they are actually missing out on personal contact with God. It began with what they called the oral interpretation of the law. In order for the common person to understand the Word of God, they made oral interpretations. Today, we would call it commentaries. Those oral interpretations were then handed down from generation to generation. and Eventually, in the second century AD, they were written down in what is called the Mishnah. In time, the people forgot what the law even said. They became more concerned with the diligent observance of those traditions, so much so that those traditions or oral interpretations or commentaries were held in a higher esteem than the Word of God. It would be like us today holding the authority of a commentary on the Bible higher than that of the Bible itself. I want you to notice four factors with me this morning. And first of all, I want you to see the criticism of the disciples. Verses 1 and 2. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, two things. What they, first of all, what they saw in verse 1. The text says that the scribes and Pharisees confronted Jesus. It also says that they came from Jerusalem, which is an indication. This is probably an official delegation that's been sent. They came looking for something to criticize. And not surprisingly, when you, find some, when you look for something to criticize, you'll find it. This delegation came deliberately trying to find something with which to oppose Jesus. And they said, well, would you look at that? Those disciples are eating with unwashed hands. They were shocked, and even more, they were delighted to be shocked. The truth is that this situation has nothing to do with hygiene whatsoever. It was referring to ceremonial cleansing. It was not even that they had not washed their hands, but perhaps that they had not done it in the right fashion. The tradition had started way back in the Old Testament when God commanded the priest who were to minister in the temple that they were to wash their hands as a reminder that when they came into the presence of God they needed to come into the presence of God with clean hands and a clean heart. It was a reminder to come to God clean. Over time they had completely lost the original idea of not just clean hands but a clean heart. And in time that priestly ritual became extended to include everyone, not just the priests. And that hand-washing became so precisely defined that it became a real burden. Secondly, notice what they said. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? In verse 2, the The Pharisees accused the disciples of Jesus of transgressing the tradition of the elders. What the Pharisees are inferring here is that the disciples of Jesus are sinners. They're sinners because they're eating with unwashed hands. And, And they are holding Jesus accountable for his disciples' failure to keep their traditions. What we find here in the words of of the Pharisees is a classic definition of legalism. Legalism is having a standard by which you judge other people's spirituality. What they teach the people is the way to be right with God is to keep all the rules. If you do everything right, then God will be pleased with you, be pleased with your life, and he will accept you. Legalism then and now is the belief that a strict adherence to a list of rules is what pleases God. We have plenty of legalists with us today. There are plenty of people who will try to force you to live by their rules. They'll tell you how to dress, how to wear your hair, what version of the Bible to do, to use, where to go, and what to do. And they judge how spiritual you are by how well you comply with their list of rules. I think Pastor R. Kent Hughes says it well when he says that the Pharisees' commitment to ritual purity made them extremely pious, self-righteous, and goody-goody obnoxious. Sounds like some people we might come into contact today. The second thing that we see is the confrontation then with the Pharisees. In verses 3 through 9, verse 3 says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? In verse 2, the Pharisees asked Jesus the question, Why do your disciples not observe our tradition. And now Jesus looks them straight in the eye. And he said, I'm so glad you ask. Let me tell you why. Now Jesus doesn't answer with some mild attempt to excuse his disciples. Saying something like, well you know, with all the traveling we do. They just didn't have a chance to wash and, and I'll see that they do better next time he didn't answer by deflection, saying, well, it is interesting that you should bring that up. Why do you think it's so important? Instead, Jesus immediately goes on the offensive. Notice in verse 4, he gives an example of their own behavior. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God no effect by your tradition. Jesus gives an example of how one of their traditions was a direct contradiction of God's very clear command. The Pharisees accused him of breaking the traditions of the elders and he accuses them of breaking God's commandments because of their traditions. Jesus shows how their tradition allowed them to keep from keeping the fifth commandment which is to honor your father and mother. We have to step back so we can kind of understand what's going on. You have to understand, first of all, There is no social security program in those days. There were no retirement plans. It was up to every child to have a responsibility to care for their elderly parents. But the Pharisees have devised a way to avoid this obligation. They even had a word for it. It was called korban. Korban is is given to us in Mark chapter 7 and verse 11, it refers to a gift dedicated to God. So if one's elderly parents asked for help, the Pharisees could reply, I'm so sorry, I can't help you. All that I have is dedicated to God. Now this meant that whatever money that they might have used to help their parents was no longer available because it was dedicated to God. But what made this practice so bad was the greedy and uncaring son did not have to give the money to God. It was enough that he had promised to give it. He could give it later. He could give it on his deathbed. Maybe not at all. It became nothing more than a slick evasion of responsibility. And what made it even more tragic is that when it was practiced in the name of God, the ultimate of hypocrisy is that they were disobeying God while pretending to be ultra spiritual. The phrase, but you say, a verse gives the actions of the Pharisees in direct contrast to what God commands. So in answering the original question of the Pharisees, Jesus says, It is not my disciples who are breaking the commands of God, it is you. Now in verses 7 through 9, we have the rebuke of their behavior. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The people had to be standing around with their mouths gapping open when Jesus has the audacity to say to the Pharisees, You hypocrites! Because according to the society of that day, these were the most religious people in the land. The accusation that's leveled against the disciples of Jesus is answered with a careful use of Scripture. Taking Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13 as a text, Jesus describes what happens when tradition took the place of truth. Jesus called these people hypocrites. The Greek word means to pretend as in a sense of being on a stage and acting out a part. Jesus was saying you're not real. You're phonies. And moreover, while you are outwardly honoring God, you're not even close. Too often, what we claim to be and what we really are Can be miles apart. We call this condition hypocrisy. And the worst form of hypocrisy is the religious hypocrite, the religious make-believer. He is the person who pretends to be one thing in his outward behavior, but he is altogether different in his heart. He is the kind of person who comes to church and pretends to be one thing, but he is a different man entirely at home and at work. Let's think about that as it applies to ourselves as we sit in a worship service and we, we sing hymns like, My Jesus, I love thee. I know that you are mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. Yet some folks can sing that song while holding on to all kinds of sin. We can sing, where he leads me, I will follow. Yet we don't follow the leading of the Lord enough to even get us back to church on Sunday night or Wednesday night. We need to be very careful what we sing and say with our lips if it's not coming from our hearts. A lot of people talk about loving, but they never love. A lot of people talk about forgiveness, but they never forgive. That is the danger of tradition. It externalizes religion, making something outward instead of inward. And the result is that Jesus says, In vain do you worship me, because you honor me with your lip, but your heart is far from me. Third, look at the caution that he gives to the multitude, or the crowd. verse 10 he says, And when he called the multitude to himself, he said, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Jesus commanded that the people hear and understand. It's not because what he is about to say is hard to understand but because what he is about to say is difficult to accept. The Pharisees, who are purported to be the most religious of them all, not only are deceiving themselves, but they have misled the people on the importance of traditions. In verse 11, Jesus goes on to discuss the real nature of spiritual impurity. Spiritual defilement does not result from what we eat. Mark, in his account, tells us, Then overturning this superficial and unscriptural tradition of hand-washing that Jesus went even further and declared, All foods are clean. In so doing, he abolished not only all the rules of the Pharisees, but he also abolished all the Old Testament regulations concerning kosher food and what could and could not be eaten the fourth he finally comes to a correction or an application to his disciples in verse 12 then the disciples came and said to him do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this I think that the scene given us in verse 12 is humorous The disciples come to Jesus and say, "Um, Lord, do you know that you offended those guys? Think about that for a moment. Well, of course he knew he offended them. Notice the comparison he gives in verses 13 and 14. First of all, he compares the Pharisees to a plant. But he answered and said, every plant which my father has not planted will be uprooted Much like the parable of the wheat and the tares that he told earlier in Matthew, he declares that the Pharisees have not been planted by the Father. And as in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the implied consequences of being uprooted is that they will be cast into the furnace of God's judgment. And then he compares them to blind guides in verse 14. Let them alone, they are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. The teaching of the Pharisees not only harms themselves, but also led anyone who believes as they did astray. And then he gives a clarification, beginning in verse 15. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. And so Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. What Jesus is saying is food never touches the soul. The soul. Food, after it is broken down, it races through our bloodstream to every cell of the body and even the smallest of the capillaries and yet it never touches, affects, or interferes with the soul. What Jesus is pointing out to his disciples and even our, the disciples today, is that adhering to traditions and observing certain rituals will not make you right with God. One's heart cannot be cleansed by some act. Legalism is an attempt to make observing God a matter of outward signs that can be observed. Human nature is that we want easily discernible steps. We want to hear, here are three steps to be right with God. It's easy to concentrate on the outward observance of rules than it is to deal with the inner things like anger and bitterness and forgiveness. By, It's easy for me to carry the right version of the Bible. It's easy to get my hair cut. It's easy for me to do those external things that people say, well this is on the list that will make you right with God. We have succumbed to legalism anytime we have a standard by which we judge other people's spirituality. We do this when we look at the length of anyone's hair or the clothes that they wear or the Bible that they carry to determine how spiritual they are. Legalism is not something that just other people have a problem with. We must all guard our hearts that we do not pose on others standards by which we judge their spirituality. In the process of following legalistic standards, we face the same problems the Pharisees did. In the process of observing the rules... We can forget about the relationship that we are supposed to have with God. We can be guilty of talking about God rather than talking to God. We can be guilty of following a man-made tradition rather than the Word of God. We can be guilty of offering God lip service when our hearts are far from Him. Let me just conclude this morning by asking you, what are you trusting in today for your salvation? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Are you trusting in the fact that your parents were Christians and your grandparents were Christians? Are you trusting in the fact that you were born into a Christian nation? Are you trusting in the fact that you attend church faithfully or at least semi faithfully? Are you trusting in the fact that you tithe your income or At least you give occasionally to the church. Are you trusting in the fact that you're a member of a certain church? Are you trusting in your baptism? Are you trusting in the fact that one day you walked down an aisle and shook a preacher's hand? Or are you trusting in the knowledge that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Let's pray. we admit readily Lord that we like those things that tell us well here's three easy steps to be right with God three steps to improve our spirituality we like things that are can be observed externally because in doing those we might avoid dealing with those things in our lives like bitterness and anger and unforgiveness things that are destroying our spiritual life. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to look at our own hearts today and ask, first of all, am I saved? Do I know that if I were to die right here, right now, I'd go to be with God in heaven? And if there's one Lord here that doesn't know that, I pray that you'd help them to understand that they're a sinner, that they can't save themselves that Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and there he paid for every one of their sins. And all they have to do, it is acknowledge that Jesus paid the price for their sin and turn and accept what Jesus has given. Help each of us, Lord, who are saved. We know we're saved. But sometimes we allow things to come into our lives that, that rob us of the intimacy of a relationship with you. Help us not just to talk about you, but to talk to you. Help us not to dwell on just the external things, but help us to look at the inside of ourselves. And help us not to be guilty of just lip service, but indeed giving our hearts to you. For We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.